Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. You made it. Give yourself a hand. It's, uh, it's a little bit dreary out there. Yeah. In fact, um, we just returned from a float trip um, three days on the Chalitna River. Um, and it wasn't like the normal Alaska rain, you know, where you just kind of have drizzle and you just sort of think to yourself, yep, yeah, you just keep doing stuff. Um, it rained on the float trip. Um, it was so awesome <laughs> and miserable all at the same time. Um, but uh, we had several um, new guys with us this year. This is a, something we try and do annually, take um, the guys, pastoral staff, and do this float trip. And uh, we always have new guys coming along, but it's pretty rare that we have new guys who are from the South. Um, and so Jonas, um, this was his first float trip, and I don't know if you can tell, but he's a super outdoorsy kind of person, um, and Pastor Pete. I don't know that Pastor Pete has ever been in the rain longer than it takes to get from his car to the office, um, by his own admission. Um, and yet, there is something about challenging experiences that are bonding, on this particular trip, um, on the last day, as we were coming out um, and getting ready to uh, get to the spot where we we're going to plot, fog settled in, like thick fog. Like you get more than 50 yards away from the raft in front of you, and it disappears. But I had this level of confidence, because we've been doing this rafting trip for a lot of years with David Pepper, and um, I was confident that he could navigate us through the braids, um, around the sweepers, so we wouldn't get up in log jams and all of those sorts of things, as long as I could still see him. And leadership is a challenging thing because it has two pieces. It has this part of, as the leader, making decisions, moving forward, um, keeping everyone moving forward and safe and those types of things, but it also has the responsibility of the people who are following that is equally as important, keeping your eyes on the person in front of you. That's actually really critical when it comes to leadership. And this week, we're going to be looking at a transition in leadership. And it's the transition from Moses to Joshua. And so we're entering the book of Joshua, this series um, entitled Fearless, um, and this idea of you have nothing to be afraid of if you begin with the fear of the Lord. If you start there, you recognize who God is, what he is like, what his expectations are, what his passion and love for you looks like. If you start there with the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, from that place, you actually have nothing else to fear in life. Which brings me to out of the frying pan. Israel's at the border, border of the promised land. Moses has died at the end of our last study, and now Joshua is going to step in. And I don't know if you know the statistics, but the statistics for the transition guy are not all that great. 
in particular, if the transition guy is following somebody who's dearly loved, deeply respected, if that guy is following someone like that, on average, they last for nine months. In fact, in organizations, both in churches and in secular organizations, they often view the transition guy as the guy before the guy, right? The guy before the next guy, because they step in and they are the one who gets the stuff and kicked out of them by everyone who's angry about whatever they want to be angry about. And that guy takes the beating and then they're out and the next guy comes in and they're so happy for the new guy coming after all of the angst they had at the old guy that now they're like, yes, you're the hero. And that guy is actually the guy who gets to lead them into transition. That's typically how it goes. In fact, organizations often hire with that expectation. In fact, I believe that David Pepper and the church board hired me to be the guy that got beat up. No, I'm just kidding. David's here. That's why I said it. Uh, The reality is it's a tough position to be in. And imagine being the guy to follow Moses. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Right? Like, like Joshua is the one who the Lord selects, Moses identifies, and Joshua is the one who has to follow the greatest leader in Israel's history. The guy identified in the scriptures as the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth. The guy who is a friend of God that God talks to face to face as his friend. Hey, you get to follow Moses. Good luck. And imagine if you're Joshua, like there's a whole lot of fear and trepidation built into the scenario itself, but he isn't just responsible to lead the people, he's responsible to listen to the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord and to lead the people. And Joshua needs to know that the Lord is speaking to him. And so Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine Here we go. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have lots of these in the back. You can grab one. um, And if you don't have a Bible that you own, you can take it home with you as well. If you do have 12 of these at home, please bring 11 back. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them as a promise. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Pick up on a theme in those verses. Be strong and courageous. No, really, be strong and very courageous. No, no, I'm not kidding. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. But there's three different things that the Lord says in each one of those. The first one he says, be strong and courageous because you're the one. You're Neo. I can remember early on, David would text me from time to time and he'd be like, 
okay, Neo, how are you doing? Like this sense that you've been chosen or you've been selected for a task or an assignment. The Lord wants Joshua to know that you're the one that has been chosen for this moment. So be strong and courageous. And by the way, be strong and very courageous because if, there's a qualifier here, if you will obey all the commands, if you will study this book of instructions, if you will meditate on it day and night, if you will lead the people in all that I've commanded, then and only then will you be successful. I think often in the church, we think it's enough just to be chosen or called. And so God called me, he chose me, therefore I will be successful. But there's a qualifier that goes with that. And he says, I've called you to obedience. I've called you to adhere to my instruction, and then you will be successful and prosper in all that you do. Be strong and courageous. And then the last one is be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. And here's the reason, because you're not alone. I'm with you. I didn't send you out to do this all by yourself. I am inviting you to join me someplace I'm already going. You will never be alone if you will walk out in faith the assignment and the mission that I've called you to. Listen, you're the one. I'm telling you, you're the one I've chosen for this assignment. And also, I've given you instructions so that you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And not only that, I am with you always so that you can do it. You're not alone. Now, back in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses has a conversation with two and a half of the tribes of Israel. It's a discouraging conversation initially. God has this conversation with Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, and they've conquered some land outside of the promised land. And they come to Moses and they say, could we just stay here? Could we not cross over the Jordan with everyone else? We like this land. This land's already been conquered. We have lots of livestock. It's perfect land for livestock. Can we just stay over here? And initially, Moses is furious because here they are about to enter into the promise, and here they are saying, no, we don't want to go into the land. And Moses' concern is this. Your lack of faith that God could give you exactly what he promised you in the land could discourage all of the people. Are we all the way back to where we started all over again? You're afraid to go into the land? No, no, that's not it at all, Moses. We just think this is great pasture land. We want to stay on this side. So here's the instruction Moses gives. He says, if you will go, all of your fighting men will go with the nation of Israel into the promised land and will not return home until they've taken all that they are given by the Lord, I'll let you stay on this side. They say, we'll do it, we'll do it. Now, I don't know if you know this, people often make promises at just opportune moments, and then they forget about them later. So Joshua's going to remind them of this. Listen to what he says, Joshua 1, verse 14. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest, and until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. I just want to pause here for a moment because there's a principle here that I think is really important. He says, listen, God's brought you to your place of blessing, your place of prosperity. He's given you everything that you think that you want. You have houses you didn't build, living in cities you didn't create, and and you've got land that you didn't cultivate, and God's placed you here. But listen, this is really important. 
because you're already here doesn't mean you're done. I think often in Christian life, it's easy to reach a place. Maybe we call it retirement in our culture. Well, I've done my part. I gave it the office. I put in my years. And now it's the time for me to sit on the porch and relax and watch a lazy hawk making circles in the sky. Oh, I know we belong to a land, and the land we belong to is grand. And when we say, hey, yippee oh, hey, hey, we're only saying, you're doing fine, Oklahoma. Nobody? Oklahoma, okay, L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma, okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> like, like, it's not that time for you to be sitting on the porch in the rocking chair, watching the sunsets. You've got something to offer. You have something. You've got an assignment because there are people who have not fully entered into all that I have for them yet. It is not the season for you to sit back and relax. It's one of the things I love about my parents. I didn't say this in first service because they were in here and I don't want to be prideful or anything, but like, it's one of the things I love about my mom and dad. I think my dad's retired like five times now, and yet he keeps finding things that God has put in his heart to do, and my mom the same way. And so in their late 60s, early 70s. I don't know. We've got some skills. Let's go to YWAM and serve with a bunch of teenagers. Like, what else has God got for us in our life? They're leading life groups at our church. They actually just split their life group, not like a church split, like a healthy split. They split their life group, and now they're launching another life group for seniors in our church. And I'm just telling you, I want to be in that place. I think about like Bill and Carlene. I'm pretty sure that Bill is going to be on an airplane somewhere or in the pulpit when the Lord takes him home. He's going to be like, and thus saith the Lord, and he's going to be gone. Like, that's just going to be, like, because we weren't created to just sit back, right? You actually have something to offer that you uniquely can offer to the next generation. I think there's a principle here, and he's speaking it to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He's saying, listen, God's given you what you were to take possession of, but I want you to lead the rest of the people into claiming what God has already promised to them as well. Verse 16, though, here's their response. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. This is what I call a not-so-promising promise. I don't know if you remember how they obeyed Moses. <laughs> right? Like, oh, great. This sounds awesome. Like, you mean the same people who rebelled and complained and died in the wilderness because they wouldn't enter the promised land? Like, I hope you obey me a little bit better than Moses, at least. But they're sincere, for sure. They're making a commitment to Joshua. We're going to listen to you. We're going to obey you. And we believe that God is with you. So Joshua is now ready for some pre-Jordan crossing recon work. And so he's going to send a couple of spies into Jericho, the nearest city, the first city they're going to encounter when they cross the Jordan River, which brings me to a prostitute's perspective. Joshua 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. This is an interesting passage, and there's some debate over, um, was Rahab a 
former prostitute and she's no longer a prostitute now, but that label has stuck. Like Simon the leper no longer had leprosy, but he's still identified as Simon the leper. We, we don't really know all that. All we know is that she's identified as a prostitute. That stigma has stuck with her. That identity has stuck with her, that she's a woman of ill repute in the community. And it's the same word that's used elsewhere for that same occupation. Now, she could be a temple prostitute in their day, or she could just generally be a prostitute. There's a whole bunch of things we don't know, but we do know that she was not well respected in the community, and for some reason, they end up at her house. Here's the second thing we know. Because of where her home is located, it's built into the city wall. Now, I want to show you a picture. This is actually on the area in which Jericho, or the tell, or the site of excavation for Jericho is today, and it's Jericho laid over that actual site, like many cities at that time, had an interior wall and an exterior wall. The wealthiest people, the king, all of those individuals would live inside the second wall at the highest point of the city. If you were living outside of that wall, you were not in the elite of the community. And if your home was built into the wall, you were in the least secure location. What this tells us is that she wasn't a wealthy person. It tells us that she was an outcast in the community. Most likely the city was built after homes were already there and she was living on the outskirts of the city at the time. But her home is located in this place. And it's actually really significant that her home is there for a whole bunch of reasons that we're going to look at next week when we unpack her story. So we know that uh, the word used here is the same word used elsewhere for a prostitute, that her home is built into the outer wall, lower class, less secure. And the third thing we know from this passage is that when these men get home, they're going to have some explaining to do. Uh, Think about it for a moment. Yeah, we went to Chicago to scout out the city. We stayed at the home of a prostitute. And then, wait, wait, honey, what'd you say? You did not tell me that part of the story. Like, what do you mean you were at the home of a prostitute? You stayed overnight there? Right, like... Who knows why specifically the Lord led them there? Well, I should discover next week, but the Lord led them to this home for some really specific reasons. Joshua 2, verse 8. She wants to share something with these spies. So before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you in the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and to Og and to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Verse 23, then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Wouldn't it be nice to know what your enemies were thinking? Like where they were at in their hearts? I think about sports, right? Um, When you discover that the team that you're about to play, they are terrified of you. They've heard about your exploits on the football field, and now they're all running scared. Nobody wants to be a lineman. Like, I mean, when you discover that there, it builds your courage. It builds your faith. This is that moment for Israel. It's God actually reminding them that he is in this. 
that people have already heard about his power, his might, his glory. And as they're coming in, they are coming into an enemy who is already defeated in their hearts. Wouldn't it be nice to know what was happening with your enemies? You actually do. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, in fact, according to James chapter 2, verse 19, we're told that demonic forces actually believe that there is one true God and they tremble in his presence. Like they're terrified of your God. Or Colossians chapter two, where it's declared that Jesus by the cross disarmed the principalities and powers, took away the weapons of the principalities and powers. You actually do know what's happening in the hearts and minds of your enemy, which should give you courage to step out into things that maybe seem impossible to you right now. And those places where you're being resisted by the enemy, you're actually being resisted by a disarmed enemy. Don't give him any weapons by your own fear. You could engage in those things fearless. Which brings me to throwback Thursday. They come back, they give the report, Joshua gets the people ready, and then this is what he says to the people. He says, buckle up, buttercup, tomorrow you're going to see some stuff. Like tomorrow, God's going to show up and show off. So get your hearts ready, get prepared, because tomorrow is the day. It's Wednesday right now, but Thursday's coming, and it's going to be Thursday. Thursday, March 15th, 1272 BC is going to be the day. And so they all go to bed that night. They wake up the next morning, and this is the instruction they're given. Listen, you've never been this way before. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They got a path laid out. They've been walking a track for a long time. They know what to expect when they come into this region. They know where the water is in this region. They've been wandering in the wilderness for a long time, but they've never been where they're about to go. And he says to them, get ready. And the priests are going to lead the way with the ark of the Lord. In other words, the presence of the Lord is going to go before you. And here's the reason, because you don't know where you're going. You've never been this way before. And God is going to lead the way for you. He's going to make a way for you. He's going to give you, you're not alone, but you are not in charge. He knows where you're going. Trust him. So, Joshua 3, verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Like, the water's the deepest it's going to be in the year. We came upon some places this year on our rafting trip where the water had overflowed the banks, and we found ourselves rafting through a forest, uh, right? I mean, like, we did, we'd never been down that path before, and it was not all that... Pl- like, this is what they're coming into, floodplain. I mean, this is the season. It's out of control. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Sound familiar? Like God parted the waters, and they crossed over on dry ground. I can tell you this much, it sounded familiar to them. 
In fact, Joshua is probably one of the only people who had actually seen it happen before. Like Joshua had been around since the last time this kind of thing happened. But for everyone else, this is new, but they know the stories. And what they're discovering in this moment is two things. The Lord's revealing two things in this moment. Number one, Joshua is the new Moses. Remember that miracle you heard about when he split the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground? That same God is right here in this moment with you. It's not actually about Joshua and it's not about Moses. It's about the God that Joshua and Moses have submitted themselves to. And he's parting the waters again, just like he did back then. That's the first thing that's being revealed is that Joshua is the new Moses. And like Moses led you out of slavery, Joshua is gonna lead you into prosperity. Like Moses led you out of slavery in Egypt. He didn't lead you out of slavery to just be wanderers in the wilderness. He led you out of slavery so that you could inherit the promise that God had made to you. Just like Moses led you out of slavery, Joshua is going to be the guy who leads you into prosperity. Joshua is the new Moses. And the second thing is this, that faith is active, never passive. It's an interesting passage. It's actually going to be a recurring theme for the nation of Israel. It's going to be a recurring theme in the New Testament. But faith is active, never passive. Everybody knows that if you touch water with your feet, it does not part. Right? Like, and what he's asked of the priest is to pick up the heavy ark of the covenant, walk to the edge of the flooded river that is raging... And when your feet touch it, then the miracle will happen. Okay, so let me be clear here. God, you can part the waters. So could you do it like before? It seems to make the most sense. Like, just go ahead and part them. And then we step into it. No, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do this. I want you to step out in faith, literally. And when your feet touch it, right, when, when what you say your faith is intersects with an act of obedience, then I will show up. Then I will perform the miracle. Yeah, 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 but what if you don't? Then we're just wet and the ark is floating away. (laughs) No, no, here's what, I just want you to step. That's all you have to do. I'll do the rest. Just take a step. Here's the principle. Faith is active, never passive. Our simple acts of obedience invite God's supernatural act of deliverance. It's interesting. You're going to see it in the rest of the story, but often the thing God asks of us in retrospect is insanely simple in light of what he's going to do as a result and often seems to have nothing to do with the outcomes that he's going to produce. In this moment, what we're going to discover is that God is not only parting the water so they can cross on dry ground. He's establishing Joshua as the leader of the nation. And he's also doing something else in all the nations that surround them. Remember what Rahab said before they crossed the Jordan? We know what God did for you in the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, we know it was a long time ago and all, but listen, we heard about the story. They're gonna hear about this story Two, Joshua 5, verse 1, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. 
It's no longer an old story about God's faithfulness. It's a brand new story in our day about God's faithfulness. Can I tell you a secret? You are not created to live on stories from the past. You were created to live in the miracles of the present that God is doing in your life. And I've told people this hundreds of times. If the day ever comes and I get up here and just talk about what I learned way back then, I should be done because he's doing something right now. When was the last time you could clearly identify the supernatural move of God in a situation in your life? Because our simple acts of obedience invite his supernatural acts of deliverance over and over and over again. Israel crosses, they make a beeline for a place that will be known as Gilgal, and they set up camp there, and they're getting ready for a fight. Jericho's going to be the first city. It's going to be about seven or eight miles away, and it's going to be the first city that they go and attack. And if you can imagine, they've heard that the hearts of all the people have melted. They know they're terrified of them. I think the men in the army are really encouraged by this, and they're bowing up. They're ready to go. Let's get it. Let's get it done. And they're ready. And and Joshua's going to have an encounter before they take off for the battle that's going to set them up for success from God's perspective, which brings me to taking sides and maybe my favorite passage in all of Joshua. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you on our team or are you on their team? That's what I want to know. Are you for us or are you for them? Because it matters right now. We're getting ready to go to war. So whose side are you on? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And listen to what the man says. And he said, no. Neither. I'm not for you and I'm not for them. He said, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. God, are you on my side or are you on their side? No. It's the wrong question. The question is, are you on his side? God doesn't choose sides. He invites you to choose sides. We've misunderstood, I think, if we believe that God is uniquely on our side. God is on his side, and you and I are invited to join him in what he is doing in the world. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is one of two times. The other one is Moses at the burning bush. In fact, most scholars believe this is what's known as a Christophany, an appearance of the Son of God or the commander of the Lord's army, in part because you typically, in the scriptures, will never see someone being allowed to worship an angel. The angel will correct them and tell them, do not worship. But in this case, worship away. The place where you're standing is holy ground. He's having an encounter with the sovereign God of all the universe. And he's asking the sovereign God of all the universe, are you on our side or are you on their side? No, 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 you misunderstood. Are you on my side? That's the question that's being asked. And God wants Joshua to understand this simple principle. God doesn't choose whose side he is on. He invites us to choose if we will be on his side. 
It's a principle I picked up years ago when I was reading through Henry Blackaby's material, Experiencing God, and it was the first time it had really dawned on me how much time I had spent asking God to join my mission rather than finding out what God's mission was and joining it. Like, he may already be up to something, and my job is to actually discover what that is and join what he's doing in the world. Which brings me to psychological warfare. God is going to give the command to Joshua, here's the battle plan, here's what I want you to do when you attack Jericho. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. So here's the Jericho battle plan so far. Gather the warriors together and the priest with trumpets and the ark. I want you to march around the city once a day for six days. I want you to play the trumpets the whole time. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times and then blow one long blast with the trumpets. Now, if you're a warrior, you're like, it's a weird plan, but I can see some psychological warfare going on here. I mean, imagine if you're the people in Jericho and whenever we show up and we start marching around in the first day, they're like, all the warriors are coming. We're in trouble. Prepare yourselves. Now, how many of you have seen Veggie Tales, the Jericho, right, with the little peas on, on the Keep walking, but you will not down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't going to fall. It's plain to see that your brains are very small. To think walking, we'll be knocking down our wall. Keep walking. Anyways, okay, watch it later if you want or not. I don't care. I saw it a lot when our son was young. It gives this image of, like, the people in Jericho mocking or taunting the Israelites. But what we know is they are clearly terrified of the Israelites. And now they've come with all of the army, with the priests, with the ark of the Lord that represents the presence of the Lord. And they're like blowing their shofars. I don't like if they were playing a tune or when the saints go, I don't know what they're playing on the shofar, but they're playing it. And every day they show up and they march around the city once and everyone's scared like, oh, it's here. It's going to happen. And then they go home. All right, that was weird. And it happens the next day and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And by this point, you're like, okay, I think they're just going to march. But then the seventh day comes. They make their one lap, and then they make another lap. Oh, no, this is it. It's upon us. One lap, two lap, three lap. They make seven laps, blowing the trumpet. I can see the soldiers now, like, okay, whatever, Joshua, this makes sense. It's psychological warfare. You're terrifying the people. I like the plan. Now we get to do our thing, right? Like, now's our moment. What comes next? Joshua 6 verse 5, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout. Oh, I like it. I like the yell. The yell's good. They shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. I don't know if you know this, Lord, but that's not how that works. Right? They've never seen a wall fall down when they yelled at it. Right? Nobody's ever experienced this before. We don't do it today. Like you go to a wall, these would be torn down in your house, and you're like, ah! March around it seven times. Ah! Everybody knows yelling doesn't knock down walls. There's actually military strategy. You build ramparts. I mean, it takes time, and it's during the harvest seasons. So they got plenty of crops. They could be under siege for a really long time. God, this plan is stupid. 
They're like, it was great up until this moment, but what you're telling us is that you don't need us. You actually are going to knock down the wall just because we obeyed. You're going to do it. So what do we get to do? Like, what if it doesn't work? We're going to look like idiots. How about, God, how about this plan? I like this plan. How about we do everything you said? We march, we blow horns, and then we yell, and then we throw rocks at the wall. Or, or we march, and we blow horns, and we yell, and then we shoot arrows. Or we march, and we blow horns, and we yell, and then we roundhouse kick the wall with a Chuck Norris kick, right? Like, like well, how about we get to do something? Like, don't we get to play a part in this entrance into the city? And the Lord says, no, I, I just want you to do what I asked you to do. You ever notice that often the things that God asks of us in faith seem to have little to do with the outcomes that we're asking for from him? It's actually a theme you'll find as you read through the scriptures. Uh, I mean, I want to be cured of leprosy. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go dip in the Jordan River seven times because everyone knows that's the cure for leprosy. Right? I can, I've been to the Jordan River. I can tell you, you will come out with more diseases if you go dip in it seven times. I mean, like, go dip in the Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be cured. That doesn't make any sense. Like, nobody cures leprosy in that way. That often the things the Lord asks of us in faith seem to have very little to do with the outcomes that we're asking for from him. And I think there's a really specific reason for that. Because if we felt like we were moving the ball down the field by our action, we would forget that it's all his power. And he wants Israel to know there are plenty of times that they will go engage in battle. He'll give them battle plans that are a lot more active. But the lesson that he wants them to learn in the first battle in the land of promise is that I gave you this land. And when the time comes for the walls to come down, I will bring them down. I'm asking you to trust me, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to you. Can, can I tell you, there's probably something the Lord is asking of you right now in this season of life that seems like it isn't connected to the outcomes that you're hoping for from the Lord, and yet he's actually asking this of you so that the outcomes are entirely for his glory. They're produced entirely by him. You can't take credit for it at all. The only thing you and I are invited to do is obey. I was uh, praying in the shower this morning, and as I was praying, I was thinking about like... um. Man, I, I've been so busy this summer, like going here and going there and all kinds of things happening. And I felt like it's been a while since I've had like a disciplined or extended prayer or really a time of focused prayer. And anyways, I was praying in the shower, I was sort of <laughs> repenting for that and talking with the Lord. But I felt like I, I heard something really specific from the Lord as I was praying. And it was directly in relationship to this sort of prayer, like, God, you tell me, you know my heart, Lord. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. I really believe that's how I'm, I'm wired. Like, if, if the Lord says jump, my question is how high? If I hear something from the Lord, my, I'm prone to just say, okay, I'll obey, I'll do it. That's sort of how I'm wired. I'm not, um, I'm not uh, uh, risk averse. I, I'm like, okay, if the Lord said do it, I'll do it. But, but here's what I feel like I heard from the Lord today. Maybe this is for someone here. Jonathan, to be obedient is different than being attentive. Yeah, I'm saying to the Lord, you just tell me, I'll do, I'll do something. That's different than the pursuit of or the listening to the still small voice of the Lord. I want to hear the next thing. I want to hear the next step. I want to hear what you're saying to me, that um, obedience is different than attentiveness. Obedience isn't, by default, attentiveness. 
And I think I'm obedient to the Lord. The question, though, is am I attentive to the Lord? It's kind of like at a restaurant when you're out for dinner and you have a, a waiter or a waitress who like sees what you need before you ask for it and they show up with it. They're attentive to you versus when you ask for it, they will bring it. Those are two totally different experiences and God is asking us to be attentive to him. It's what he's asked of Joshua and it's what he's displaying to the nation of Israel is if they will listen, they will hear instruction and they will experience his power in those moments. Man, it's a good word, Pastor. I know, I know. Such a good word. <laughs> I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Here's what I believe the Lord wants Israel to learn in this moment. That he is going to fight their battles for them. He will bring about the victory, and they get to enjoy the spoils. It's actually the message of the gospel. Because there's a very direct link between what I believe about salvation, how I came into relationship with God through the person of Jesus, that he actually did all the work. He conquered my enemies. He defeated my enemies. He made a way for me in the wilderness. He parted the sea for me. He's the one who did all the miraculous work. He just invited me to take a step of faith into the thing that he had already accomplished and provided. He, he completed the battle. I didn't have the capacity to do it. I was actually a slave in Egypt. And he made a way for me to be delivered, but not only to be delivered, but to flourish in all that he had for me. It's the message of the gospel in a nutshell, and God's displaying it here for the nation of Israel, that you will get to enjoy the spoils of my victory if you will join my mission. I think I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to invoke God's blessing on my ideas because I have like a thousand ideas a day. And I'm saying, God, would you bless this thing? And I rarely pause long enough to discover that maybe God already has a plan and he's inviting me to join him. Now, have you ever stopped to think all the things that you are dreaming about in your life, you have planned for your life, you think are great. They might not be evil things. They might actually seem to be really good things. But have you ever paused long enough to think that God might already have a plan and he's actually inviting you to join him? And we're waiting around for him to join us. But he has blessing. He has promise. He has the miraculous for you and I. If we would stop long enough to ask, what are you doing in my world? And how can I join you? And that small step of faith, I promise you, will be met by a supernatural act of deliverance by him. The truth is, he knows the whole story. He knows the whole thing from beginning to end. I mean, when you read the book of Revelation and you discover this might and power and wonder and awe of the sovereign God of all the universes, he's displayed in that book, especially in the opening chapters, and you discover that the end of the story is already written. Can I tell you, he also knows your story? He knows what he's accomplishing in your situation. He knows the heartache. He knows the loss. He knows the forces that are against you. He knows all of it. And he also knows the way through. And he may just be inviting you to step and watch him part the waters and knock down the walls in your life. And so Jesus, we come to you, the captain of the armies of the Lord, the one who will come back 
leading in victory. It's already assured, it's guaranteed. In fact, in Acts 19, you tell us that the sovereign God of all the universe doesn't need to be served by human hands. You wouldn't tell us if you were hungry, you're actually self-sufficient. And you invite us to bring our need to you. So I pray in these moments as we lift our voices in declaration of your might, of your power, of your strength, would you reveal the next step? Would you unfold your plan before our eyes in a very personal way? And would you give us the courage to act in obedience? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.